Tepanik Keg presents the Daily Tap Podcast. How's everybody doing? We have a good show for Tuesday. We're going to talk about why this Packers win on Sunday mattered so much to Matt LaFleur and what is what can we expect kind of going forward with Matt LaFleur. I think this win was a signature one for LaFleur and we'll get into it a little bit more with topic number one today. Topic number two, we'll talk about the Green Bay Packer defense against that old Pittsburgh offense. Uh, the Steelers are struggling to say the least with their offense and the Packers can take advantage of it. So we'll look forward to that. We'll talk a little bit about Big Ben, talk about the talent the Steelers actually have on that roster and get into it much more about that matchup. And then lastly, we'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks a little bit. We haven't talked about the Bucks in a little in a little while here, but we're going to talk about why I think they're in the best position to win with their team yet again in the Eastern Conference as they are the team yet again with the least amount of drama. Um, so we'll get into that. I'm at the tail end of today's show. Sorry for the delay on this one um, that it's been up a little later today. Um, if you can expect doing about an hour-long podcast yesterday and working until about 1.30 uh, did not bode well for me. Um, I, I passed out uh, before the end of the Eagles-Cowboys game. So apologies to all those who you use this podcast as a morning commute. Hopefully use this as your drive time commute. Let's waste no more time and talk about Matt LaFleur and why this win mattered so much. So as I kind of noted in Monday's podcast, I kind of talked about how this was a important win for Matt LaFleur. I don't know if I called it a signature win. I know others called it a signature win, and I'm joining the chorus because it is a signature win for Matt LaFleur. It matters a hell of a lot that Matt LaFleur won this game. And Matt LaFleur is just a coach, right? He The players play, the coaches coach. But Matt LaFleur's decision-making led the Green Bay Packers to this victory. Matt LaFleur, all of the time, all the install in the two-minute drill led to Mason Crosby hitting the game-winning field goal. Granted, he almost got it blocked if you saw the screen cap uh, yesterday. But still, the Green Bay Packers put themselves in a position to win. Even if, say, Crosby did get blocked, I would be saying that, yes, the Packers put themselves in the perfect scenario to win this football game. But it matters so much more to Matt LaFleur because I think we're starting to see a young coach grow up. Matt LaFleur is only two and a quarter years into being a head coach. We forget this sometimes. I talk about, I've talked about this on the podcast before when the Packers lose a game and maybe it's on LaFleur a little bit more than it is on the players. And I just have to remind everybody like, this is still a new coach. Like this is still a guy who hasn't seen everything. He hasn't seen, you know, all the different scenarios that could happen. Like if you asked Andy Reid, right, about any different scenario in, in football, I think he'd have an answer for you. Literally. Like I think you could say to Andy, like, we're down five with a minute to go. Like, what kind of off what plays are you running? Or we're down ten with four minutes to go, how do you, you know, engineer a comeback? Like Andy Reid has been through everything because he's been around hell, even though he's not a good coach. And we saw it again last night, like Mike McCarthy has been through everything probably as a head football coach. Matt LaFleur just hasn't. 
And so sometimes I think he struggles with those moments where it's like, I haven't been there before. Because if you listen to anything from like a Sean McVay, Lafleur is kind of a psycho. Like Lafleur is kind of a guy who wants to have everything planned out and wants and is so detail oriented and is so meticulous that when I think shit hits the fan, he freaks out. And and we know people in our lives like that. I mean, some of you might say your wife, right? Like you know, some of you might say your husband, some boyfriend, whatever. Like there are people who like when things do not go according to plan, they absolutely lose their fucking shit and Matt LaFleur might be one of them and I, that's why I would get nervous sometimes when LaFleur or McFay would talk about how you know LaFleur is so detail oriented because sometimes it's a mess like I am someone who's poor I'm not one to talk about details right like that to me is like one of my fatal flaws in life is that I'm not always great with details so I, I'm not the one to like criticize someone for being detailed oriented, right? Like that, that is a extremely hypocritical. But what I am saying is sometimes organized chaos is okay. Sometimes you have to make it through the chaos. And Matt LaFleur made it through the chaos on Sunday. And that's why it's so important that they won this game. Because Matt LaFleur stayed the course. He didn't get thrown off. Like it would have been so easy for the Packers to just completely check out because the refs were clearly against them. It was clear that Matt LaFleur said something or did something to Jerome Boger's crew that they made it personal against Matt LaFleur. Should they have? Absolutely fucking not. But did they? Yes. And I will go to my grave saying that because it looked personal out there. And so Matt LaFleur, obviously that is a learning experience. There's working the refs and there's going too far with the refs. It's apparent that LaFleur went too far with Boger and his crew. Now, hopefully if they have Boger again this year, he will not use it as retribution. But Green Bay could have checked out. Coaching staff, players alike, they could have checked out. They could have said, well, the refs are against us. This game's fucked. No, they stayed the course. They kept fighting. They kept battling. And then... They were ready to go with a 30 seconds, 37 second install to say, all right, here's how you go down the field. And Rogers talked about him and Matt were work, have worked together on this. They have put themselves in this situation. So again, Matt LaFleur's growth as a head coach has led us to this point. And you're like, this guy's already 20, what is he, 28 and seven now? 28 and seven, Charlie, he's been through 35 games. He's one of the more successful coaches at for his career how can he not how can he get better this is how he gets better because he's understanding how to win in these tight games and sometimes I think the Packers would struggle in moments where LaFleur wasn't ready like for example LaFleur still has to work on how to how to get his teams to come back that to me is like the last maybe the last step of this the the final beast if you will of coming back in a in a situation where things did not start out well for the Green Bay Packers. Because as much as I love Matt LaFleur, the coach, that part still needs to be worked on. There are still things that are needed to be solved for. Number one is when Green Bay goes down early, like how do you sort of, again, stay the course? Because I think we've seen if the Packers get down early, they sometimes try to force things. They sometimes try 
to get it all back with one or two plays versus just playing Packer football. Just running the ball, just getting short passes, moving it down the field instead of, okay, let's just run the deep ball with MVS and see if we can get seven right back and put ourselves right back in the football game. Packers sometimes have a little bit of a composure issue under LaFleur, and that goes back to the psycho commentary where it's like he kind of loses it a little bit where he's like, oh my God, like this game is not going to plan. What do I do? I think that's part of the reason why the Saints thing was such a clusterfuck, right? Like that to me was a clear indication of it because they weren't necessarily ready to go. Like it, it just wasn't a situation they had put themselves in. The other part of this is I think sometimes they don't always seem prepared on the road. They sometimes don't seem like they're ready to fight. Like they have those games like we saw in New Orleans. We saw it against Los Angeles two years ago. I don't know if there's an, they're, the only example of it last year was honestly Minnesota. But Minnesota, and that was at home. But that, that to me was more of the Packers just weren't ready for the weather. The Packers were not ready to combat this, the winds that were going on and making it extremely difficult to move the football. And Matt LaFleur didn't understand how to kind of re-engineer his playbook and Mike Patton too. And that led to the Packers losing that game. And so that to me is like, those are still things to be worked on. Like I'm not saying Matt LaFleur is perfect by any shape of the shape of the word, but I am saying that this win matters because it's showing Matt LaFleur how to win in these situational games, these big games. Like, how do you get yourself there? Maybe Matt LaFleur looks at it again and says, do I go for it on fourth down? Do I just go for it on fourth down? I think Matt LaFleur would say no. In fact, Matt LaFleur is justified. I think Ryan Russell had a great bit last week about how everyone is obsessed with going with for, for, for fourth down. And that there is no nuance in it. Now, Shiel Kapadia, who is on his podcast, who's more of an analytics guy, Shiel pushed back and said, well, it's the sum of all parts. Like you always go because at the end of the day, it's going to work out for you. And to me, that is such a computer mindset. Like I agree more with Rosillo because there is situational awareness here. Like, yes, could have Matt LaFleur went for it at the goal line on Sunday? Absolutely. Absolutely, Matt LaFleur could have went for it there. But he didn't, and he got a field goal, and it was 27-21. to 21, And then the Niners score, and then instead of needing a touchdown to win, they just needed a field goal. If they don't have that, the chances is Aaron Rodgers throwing it down the field. Now you could argue, well, Charlie, how do you know they get stopped on fourth down? I don't. But it took, out, took that out of the equation. It took it absolutely out of the equation. And I think that's the that's the better better way to do it. And it's because of where we were defensively. Defense was leaking oil in the second half. The referees were making it very hard on the defense to play their game. So a combination of those two things led LaFleur to taking the field goal. And that was the right move. And it paid off at the end. So he was right in that situation. You could argue the fourth down he went for earlier in the game... Maybe that wasn't the right move. Maybe it was he should have took taken the points and been up 13-0. And he could have then been up 20 to nothing after the Packers do score again. And so may and and, and ironically, right, 
the Packers would have won by two regardless, and we wouldn't even have had the game-winning field goal for Mason Crosby. Maybe an onside kick for the Niners, and the Packers recover, take a knee, and the game's over. So who knows, right? But that type of stuff, I think LaFleur has always been good at and gotten better at with the fourth downs. But being in these tight situations, he's finally sort of figured out how to navigate it. I don't know if Matt LaFleur navigated last year against Tampa Bay very well. I don't know. I, I, I can go back to that game and there were a lot of moments where the lights kind of seemed too bright for Matt. I don't think the lights were too bright today. And that to me says everything that I need to know about the Packers future and where the Packers could go this season. And yes, they can win the Super Bowl. Staying with the Packers, let's talk about their matchup with the Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend. As I noted at the start of the year, Green Bay would be featured on all four networks the first four weeks of the season. CBS is the last one. So we have Nansen Romo um, making their way to Lambeau Field, which should be good. It's the premier game on Sunday afternoon, 325 start against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, this matchup has lost a little bit of its luster with the Steelers' struggles to start the year. The Steelers are 1-2, and two, and they cannot move the football at all. The Steelers have scored 16 points offensively in Week 1. They scored 16 in Week 2, and they scored 10 in Week 3 against the Cincinnati Bengals' defense. That's okay, but it's not it's not world beaters at any, any juncture, right? So that is where we are with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they have a ton of talent. They have a ton of talent where there's no reason this Pittsburgh Steelers team should be averaging less than 20 points a game, especially in today's NFL. But all of it starts and ends with Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger, unfortunately, is past his prime. Unfortunately, Ben Roethlisberger has a few games left, and we've seen this multiple times before. We saw it with Brett Favre in his last year with Minnesota. We saw it with Drew Brees last season. We've seen it with Peyton Manning. Uh, you know, there are guys who just unfortunately play a year too long. And I'm not surprised that Ben Roethlisberger couldn't have read the room there and realized that last year should have been his, his last. And now Pittsburgh is in a very awkward situation where they have a ton of talent they have playmakers all over the field on both sides of the ball, and they have an awful quarterback. They might have one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL to date, and that is saying something. And the Green Bay Packers should take advantage. Joe Perry sent a lot of pressures at Jimmy Garoppolo last Sunday. The plan should remain the same. They should be throwing, I didn't say maybe the kitchen sink, but they should throw a ton at Big Ben. They should be blitzing Big Ben the entire game like that should just be the motivation is to be in big ben's kitchen all the time now big ben very good at avoiding sacks he's one of the best he's extremely hard to bring down he's not easy but you got to make that old tree fall hard like you have to make big ben you know uncomfortable it seemed like that's what the cincinnati Bengals did in their game last week is big ben just never seemed to be comfortable and that to me is how you win this game now, Green Bay has maybe a secondary issue um, with Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson if he plays, and Pat Fryermuth at tight end. That's a very good receiving core. 
if they had a if they had Jimmy Garoppolo, okay, right? If they had Jimmy Garoppolo, that to me, I'm like, okay, the Steelers are a playoff contender, maybe fringe Super Bowl contender, because they have a ton of talent on the outside. And in fact, they match up pretty well for the Packers. Like Chase Claypool is a real issue for Green Bay. Now, Eric Stokes, he's 6'1", so maybe Eric Stokes will be all right against Chase Claypool. But still, Claypool is three inches taller than him. I like Stokes a lot better than Kevin King. I think that's the big question mark here. Do the Packers continue with Eric Stokes as their starter, or do they go with Kevin King? I hope it's Stokes. I think I think all of Packer Nation will protest uh, to Matt LaFleur and to Joe Barry if Kevin King is starting on Sunday. Eric Stokes played every down last Sunday. There is no reason that Eric Stokes shouldn't be out there. He proved proved his worth to me, and I think to a lot of Packer fans, it would be mind-numbing if they went back to Kevin King. And so I think you go Stokes on Claypool, and you just ride it out. And I think, yes, there will be moments where Kevin King will get will get Chase Claypool, and you just kind of hope for dear life that they don't get burned down the sidelines. Uh, who knows if Ben can even chuck it that deep these days. Juju Smith-Schuster has been more of a safety valve for Big Ben this year. But that's going to be a real problem against the Packers because I think you're going to have Jair Alexander all over Juju Smith-Schuster. That is a perfect matchup for Jair Alexander. Jair Alexander should eat against Juju Smith-Schuster. That, to me, is easily what you do. You might have to play Jair a little more in the slot and put, say, like Channon Sullivan on the outside against the Deontay Johnson. Now, I'm not entirely hyped about Channon Sullivan out there, but who knows? Maybe that's a Kevin King spot, right? Maybe you do get King, Stokes, and Jair out there, and you're running more of a nickel defense with those three, and Jair is your slot corner to take away Juju. Because I think he, Juju will be a non-factor in this game. Tight end, I think Fryer moves good. But I don't really worry too much about him. I don't worry him having a big game. I, I, If you don't have Chris Barnes, I do think the middle of the field will be open. Ty Summers is a sieve. Like, I don't know why we keep doing the Ty Summers thing. Like, he's a fine special teams player. I say this all the time about Ty Summers. Like, if Ty Summers ever heard my slander of him on this podcast, he easily would block me from Twitter. He would easily block me from from Instagram, like he would not like the slander. I think I even follow him on Instagram, which is pretty disrespectful by me with all the shit I talk about him. But anyways, uh, Ty Summers is not good. And if he's out there, if he's starting for the Packers, just brace for dear life. Because yes, the middle of the field will be more open than it should be. And then as for the running attack for Pittsburgh, it's a mess. And people have been able to run against the Packers, at least in the first two weeks. Week three, we didn't see it. But did we not see it because the Niners have nobody to run the football? That, to me, is, the I think, the real question that you come away from week three with the defense, who is much maligned. And they did leak oil. They got to they gotta get better on third and long. Like, they are a good defense in, a, in like... How do I describe this? They're a good defense just on paper. On paper, they did some good things, right? But situationally, I don't know if they're a good defense. Like, their situational defense is a fucking problem, okay? Let's just put it that way. Their situational defense is, is an issue. 
And so they do have to get off the field on third and long. Like, that has to be fixed. Like, that is the number one thing Joe Barry has to focus on this week is how do we get off the field on third and nine and third and ten and third and eleven because we are hurting ourselves, our team, by not getting the ball back to our offense. But to go back to Najee Harris, sorry, I kind of went... I kind of went on a tangent there, but as Florida stopped the run, they have been, they were good last week stopping the run. And the Pittsburgh offensive line is still a problem. They're still not that good. And Najee Harris has not been able to kind of get started in terms of running the football. Now, Big Ben dropped it off. I think he had 14, t- 14 catches last week. Um, so, I mean, that for fantasy is great, but it obviously did not lead to much offensively. The Packers have had issues in the past covering the flats. I think it's been a lot better with Devondre Campbell. He does, He's doing a great job of covering those flats. He used to give the Packers fits, especially with guys like Blake Martinez out there. I know Blake just tore his ACL, so I'm not trying to ricochet shot a guy who's going to be on the IR for the rest of the year. Hope Blake gets better. But still, he struggled in the flats, okay? Sorry. I, I, I'm sorry, right? Like, you just, that was Blake Martinez's big bugaboo, is he was good at stopping the run, but the guy could not cover a flat to save his soul. Devondre Campbell can do both. So hopefully, Campbell is able to kind of bottle up Najee Harris in the pass game. Now, Najee Harris in the running game has not been a thing. The last thing you'd want to have happen this week is for Pittsburgh to find their run game. If Pittsburgh finds their run game, then becomes a little bit of a different story, right? Then Big Ben, there's less reliance on Big Ben, and he's he only has to make short throws. They're going to try to dink and dunk the Packers down the field. Will they be successful? I don't know. Uh, they do not have the offensive line that the Saints do. Saints have a very good offensive line. The Saints are able to move the football, and that's part of the reason why the Saints are you know were able to beat beat up the Packers was because. They were able to push the ball down the field with their offensive line. I don't think the same can be said for the Steelers. So that, so I do really, at the first glance of this game, I really like the Packers. I really think the Packers are in a good spot against this team. They are getting the Steelers at the perfect time. I don't know if this is what the Steelers look like at the, at the start of November, let's just say. I, I have no idea. Uh, but right now the Packers are getting the Steelers in a great spot. So looking forward to this one. And oh yeah, we're going to talk about TJ Watt and Kevin King uh, tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. We will do we'll do that conversation then. Lastly, let's talk a little Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, the Milwaukee Bucks are back. They had media day yesterday. Everything was all good. There were a lot of great quotes. I thought it seemed like the Bucks were a team that didn't win a championship last year. So you think maybe that's kind of weird. But but seriously, like I didn't think the Bucks were sounding complacent, sounded like they were, you know, basically happy to be there. It it sounded like a team that was ready to win another championship. A team that was maybe ready to win three championships, four championships. The disease of more, as Bill Simmons has talked about with NBA NBA teams, NBA dynasties, has not set in with the Bucs. I don't know if it will ever set in with the Bucs with Giannis being their leader. Giannis, to me, is the last guy I would expect to have like a disease of more mentality to him. It's just not what Giannis is about. It's not what Giannis has been throughout his entire career. I mean, his quote 
uh, to Greek TV last week about how he doesn't like have time to spend with any of the players. He doesn't want to have a coffee with them. He doesn't want to train with them because that is his competition. And if once he becomes friends, he loses that edge. That's a guy who just won a championship, okay? Like, that is a guy who is doing it a little different than what Michael Jordan did. Like, Michael Jordan would be friends with his competition, but Michael Jordan would also chew you up and spit you out. LeBron has no problem being friends with his competition. But for Giannis, the way he keeps his edge, the way he keeps that chip on his shoulder, which we talk about all the time, a certain quarterback here in, here in the state, is by being friends with no one. And I'm sure that pisses people off. I'm sure that makes him unfriendly in the media. I'm sure that annoys guys like Durant and Joel Embiid and Steph Curry and LeBron. And and like, why can't Giannis be our friend? Giannis is like, fuck you. I don't want to be your friend. And it's great. But that goes to the point of the Bucs have this edge about them still, even though they won a championship. And I think it will grow as the year goes on because guess what? The nuance, the talk about the the finals contenders will be it's Brooklyn Lakers and everybody else. Now, some will include the Bucs, and they should include the Bucs. Giannis is on another level. Giannis is on another stratosphere. I hope people understand that Giannis is the best player in the NBA right now. He is. He just is. And I'm sorry if you think otherwise. And so I think that makes the Bucs right there with the Lakers Nets. I will I will say that the Bucks to me are right now the top team in the East and maybe the top team overall. Because where I from my vantage point and I it is a biased vantage point, the Bucks have the least amount of question marks heading into their season and it is the exact same thing as last playoffs, okay? It's the exact same thing. So last playoffs, Brooklyn had the injuries. They didn't know if they'd get James Harden back. They get James Harden back. Then Kyrie goes down. James Harden, not entirely 100%. So basically have to rely on Durant. It was just Durant at the end. So this year, they come back. Okay, Durant, Kyrie, uh, Harden, like here we go. Like they're going to win, you know, maybe they win 70 games. Maybe they win 60 games. Like this team is going to be successful. You had Charlie over here saying, well, I need to see it first before I make any rash decision making. And then you have Kyrie not wanting to get vaccinated at all. Has no plans of getting vaccinated. Says that he he doesn't want to and he's leading a co- coalition in an explosive piece in the Rolling Stone this week with the players of not getting vaccinated and providing conspiracy theories and just really bizarre Kyrie stuff. And now he can't play in home games in Brooklyn because they have vaccine rules. And he can't play in certain states. Like when Brooklyn goes to play Golden State, he can't play. And there are other cities like this. What the hell does Brooklyn do? It doesn't seem like he's just going to be like, oh yeah, I'll go get the vaccine for my team. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, former Buck, has said that the players should be kicked off the team if they don't get vaccinated. Now, I think that's a little strong from Kareem. It's a personal choice. But you are hurting your team, 100%. Especially with the rules that are in place in some of these cities. So what the hell does Brooklyn do? So all of a sudden, Brooklyn has drama. And Brooklyn does not necessarily have the united front that, say, the Milwaukee Bucks do. 
And then you have the Philadelphia 76ers. Ben Simmons wants out. Ben Simmons doesn't want to be there. And Joel Embiid's like, hey, look, I get it. Like, I thought I watched a little bit of Embiid's presser yesterday. And I thought Embiid was really good in it. Where Embiid's like, look, this is, it's business. This happens. Like, basically telling Ben Simmons to sack the fuck up. Like, just stop being such a bitch and come play and we'll figure this shit out together. I thought it showed a lot of leadership from Embiid. I'm not a huge Embiid guy. I like his personality, but I think this was a different side of Embiid. And I give him a lot of credit because that that can't be easy to go up there and just be like, hey, look, my guy Ben needs to be better. My guy Ben needs to sort of figure this shit out. I want to play with him. I want this to all work. So we don't know what the Sixers are going to look like. Now, if the Sixers trade for Damian Lillard, by which I think is highly unrealistic, maybe this is an entirely different story. Even if they get CJ McCollum or they get DeAndre Fox or I'm just trying to think of other names or Carl Anthony Towns and make like a Twin Towers. I don't know if Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid would work, but I know Towns has said he now wants out because of all the stuff going on with Garrison Rosas and the Timberwolves, man. Really bad. If I'm a Timberwolves fan right now, I, I really hope that my team's not playing in Seattle in a couple years because I have a sneaky feeling we're headed that way. And I, I feel bad for T-Wolves fans. And I know there are T-Pups fans out there and they've been through a lot of fucking losing. And so I just hope that maybe, just maybe, they are not going to get screwed here. But I, I fear the worst right now for Minnesota. But anyways... They don't know what their team looks like in Philadelphia. Philly has no idea what the fuck their team is. They don't know. So again, advantage to the Bucs. The Bucs know who they are. No one's requesting a trade. No, There are some new pieces, but I think their new pieces are actually going to help them and actually make their bench deeper. And they have guys who are hungry for a title. So it's not just a bunch of guys who are back who are like, well, at least we want a title. Like if things go wrong, they're like, ah, well, we have a title. A, I don't think Giannis would allow that, number one. But B, they don't have the other guys who are like that. I actually don't think Drew Holiday's wired like that. I don't think Chris Middleton's wired like that. But they're going to want to get a title for George Hill. And Grayson Allen also will be hungry to win a title. And I think that it, those are really good upgrades to your bench. And in Semi Ojale, I'm not giving up on Semi Ojale. I know Boston fans fucking hated him. But Semi's a young dude. Semi's a guy who can buy in with what the Bucks want to do. I don't, I'm not ready to just like sell all the semi-stock just because a bunch of Celtics homers didn't fucking like him. Okay, we, we, we'll see what happens there. But lastly, to talk about the Lakers. So Bucks already look good as the East team with the least amount of drama and in the best position to just go out and play basketball and win fucking games. The Lakers too are not a team that I think is without question, Right? You have LeBron, you have Anthony Davis. Both healthy, both ready to go. LeBron talked with Peyton Manning yesterday and Eli on their Manning cast. I didn't watch a ton of it, just a little bit. It seems like Bron's ready and rolling to go. They're doing like a training camp in Vegas, kind of a team building thing. But at the end of the day, they are a very old team. So they do have like, the question marks for them are not necessarily like any sort of dramatic shit that's going on in Philly or Brooklyn. It's more, is this team going to really stay together for an entire year? 
it feels like it's an old building that's ready to kind of fall apart. And like if Mello goes down or Westbrook goes down, and the Westbrook thing I think is also going to be a factor. I don't think LeBron and Westbrook and Davis are going to work well together. I I might be wrong, but I don't I don't necessarily see it. And it's going to take some time for the Lakers to get it all together. Like I don't I would not be surprised if by Christmas we're having a conversation of what's wrong with the Lakers because they haven't yet figured it out. Now and then they get hot in January and February as they play together. But they're going to need some time together. It's kind of a brand new team for LeBron. He's not he's not unfazed by it. He's done it before, right? But we'll see. So that leaves us with the Bucks. And even though some people want to de- kind of degrade, downgrade what the Bucks did in 2020 because of the LeBron injury, because Durant stepped on the line, because Harden and Kyrie were hurt. At the end of the day, the Bucks were the best team. They looked like the best team after that game two debacle against Brooklyn. After that, the Bucks were a juggernaut. You can't tell me any, can't tell me differently. And until I see a team that matches what the Bucks did last finals, they are still the top dog. So good luck, NBA. Hope you have your shit together because right now you don't look like it. All right, that does it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. Like I said, I think I'm going to do Kevin King and TJ Watt. I, we want to talk about the Steeler defense against the Packer offense. I feel like you have to just talk TJ Watt, Kevin King. But I also think that's a really good topic for Mitch and I. That sometimes, guys, just a little behind the scenes. Like, that's always the tough thing, right? Like, do I want to save this topic for Mitch and I? And I, I kind of want to do this, like, America's team thing with Mitch. Because, like, Steelers and Packers are two of the most public teams. And, you know, really... Who right now has the American crown? But I think it's kind of obvious. And why like the whole America's team is is kind of an overrated moniker. Because it changes all the time. But anyways, I think Mitch and I might do King and Watt. I know I promised it for tomorrow. But we'll, we'll find out something else we can do for the Pittsburgh defense against for the Packer offense. Or just talk about the Packer offense in general. Uh, we'll, we'll find something, I promise. Um, we'll maybe also do a little State of the Badgers. We haven't kind of gone over. We'll see what quotes come out from Paul Christ. Maybe talk a little Brewers. Um, obviously, a week, a week, another series against the Cardinals. I can't tell you that I care too much. I'm just trying to get to the playoffs. Um, so maybe we'll we'll do some 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 things like that. Just trying to get the brain brain rolling. Sometimes I think on the fly, and then I'm like, all right, I gotta go. It's what exactly I'm doing right now. All right, gotta go. Take care. Have yourself an awesome Tuesday. Back tomorrow. See you guys. Bye.